from the Hutterberg Catechism. Let's read together Lord's Day 27. Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No, only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ remove our sins just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we're bodily washed with water. Should infants too be baptized? Yes, infants as well as adults belong to God's covenant and congregation. Through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin of the Holy Spirit who works faith are promised to them no less than to adults. Therefore, by baptism as a sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Covenant by circumcision, in place of which baptism was instituted in the New Covenant. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever taken time to examine your genealogy? Have you ever had the opportunity to study the families of your ancestors going, more, going back more than four or five generations? Anyone who studies records of families living before 1900 cannot help but be struck by a number of facts. The first is that in previous centuries, the families were often quite large, consisting of eight 12, or 16, or even more children. The second is that the infant mortality rate was very high. Many families lost three or four children, either in childbirth or in the first years of their lives. It was not uncommon to lose other children in their childhood. In some families, not even half of the children reached adulthood. The result of this was that families were faced with a pressing question. What happens to my little baby who has just died? He was not of an age to understand God's promises. He didn't know Jesus Christ and didn't believe in him. The Bible teaches that justification is by faith alone. Does that mean my child is lost? There's no possibility of him being saved? Perhaps you too have been faced with this question because you or a loved one has lost a child. What happens to our little ones when a mother miscarries or a child is born stillborn or dies in its infancy? This afternoon, we continue our discussion of baptism, one of the sacraments God has given for the strengthening of our faith. Baptism is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. 
God made this covenant with Abraham and his offspring. He's given his promises to us and our children. This afternoon, we hope to see that God-fearing parents ought not to doubt the election and salvation of their children, whom God calls out of this life in their infancy. For just like adults, children belong to God's covenant and congregation. I preach you God's word under the following theme. Baptism signifies that God extends his covenant to believers and their children. We'll see that children, too, belong to God's covenant and congregation, that children, too, receive full salvation in Jesus Christ, that children, too, are called to respond to God's grace. Many Christians today deny the validity of infant baptism. It's especially the case among Baptists and Mennonites and Pentecostals. They quote texts like Mark 16, verse 16, to support their viewpoint. In Mark 16, verse 16, Jesus said, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. On the basis of this text, many draw the conclusion that you have to believe before you can be baptized. For them, baptism is not a sign of God's promises, but a confirmation of a person's faith. Behind this belief lies the old Arminian heresy that man needs to make a choice for God before God can grant him his grace. But does Mark 16, 16 teach that you need to believe before you can be baptized? Isn't it true that in the early Christian church, people were, is it true that in the early Christian church people were not baptized until after they believed? Just think of the Ethiopian eunuch. Cornelius, Lydia, the Philippian jailer, and Crispus. See, beloved, as Reformed people, we have no difficulty with the teachings of Mark 16, 16. When there's people outside the church and they come to faith, they do need to believe before they can be baptized. The Bible is clear on that point. But that does not mean that we therefore deprive our children of the sign and seal of the covenant. They too need to be baptized. One of the main problems some people have with infant baptism is that they have a wrong perspective on the scriptures. Specifically, that they see the relationship between the Old and the New Testaments wrongly. Many Christians believe that there is a basic discontinuity between the Old and the New Testament. They agree that the New Testament often draws from principles in the Old Testament. But they say that the New Testament is a replacement for the Old Testament, therefore rendering the Old Covenant invalid. Many Christians believe that our starting point should be the New Testament, distinct and separate from the Old Testament. They say that the believer derives all his understanding of the Christian faith from the New Testament alone. The only things carried forward from the Old Testament are those things specifically repeated in the New Testament. And so they divide the Bible into two books. They may at times oppose one another. At times references are even made by these people 
to the God of the Old Testament being different from the God of the New Testament. As Reformed believers, we have a totally different way of approaching the Scriptures. We believe and confess that both the Old and New Testaments are the revealed Word of God. We receive the teaching of all the books of Scripture as being authoritative for our lives. We see that there is a basic continuity between the Old and the New Testaments. The New is in the Old concealed. The Old is in the New revealed. The New Testament offers greater revelation of God and His redemptive work. But it does not do away with the Old Testament and start all over again. We have a covenantal approach to Scripture. God's manner of dealing with his people throughout the ages can be summarized with the teaching of the covenant. We see this clearly in our Bible reading from Genesis 17. Here we see how God reaffirms the covenant of grace with Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. To confirm this promise, God changed Abraham's, na Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. God promised Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into, into nations and kings shall come from you. Yet it's not just to Abraham that God made these promises. In Genesis 17, verse 7, the Lord said, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. We see that also Abraham's descendants were included in the covenant of grace. God promised to be their God. And they were to be his people. Even though the generations to come were not yet born, God promised to give them the land of Canaan as their possession. So we see that the Lord extended the covenant not just to Abraham, but also to his offspring. In the Old Covenant, God gave a sign to confirm his promises made to his people. He gave them the sign of circumcision. God said to Abraham, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. And so circumcision was the mark by which the children of God were set apart from the children of the world. The result was that parents in the Old Covenant had God's promise that their children were God's children. The promises God made to them were valid also for their offspring. God showed forth his steadfast love and mercy upon his people from one generation to the next. When they strayed, 
he called them back. When they were defeated by their enemies, he rescued them. God was faithful to his promises made to Abraham. He never gave up on his people. He ensured that even in times of great apostasy, a remnant was preserved. In that way, the line to the Messiah was maintained. For ultimately, it was through him that God would provide redemption for his people. In the Old Testament, God's covenant was with Abraham and his descendants. If we understand that there is continuity between the Old and the New Covenant, then we see that also today God establishes his covenant through the generations. Today, God makes his covenant with believers and their children. We see this very clearly in Peter's Pentecost address. In Acts 2, 38 and 39, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Some will respond and say that there is no specific commandment to baptize infants. That's true. Yet the point is that God's covenant promises extend not just to believers, but also to their offspring. It was confirmed in the old covenant by circumcision. Do you really think God would change his way of dealing with his people in the new covenant? If God's people Israel received a sign of the covenant, do you think God would deprive his church of such a sign in the new covenant? Baptism is the sign by which God shows that both believers and their children belong to him. In Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12, Paul draws a link between circumcision and baptism. Paul indicates that circumcision signified a cutting away of sins, undergoing a change of heart, and being incorporated into the household of faith. Paul's point is that for believers in the New Covenant, their baptism in Christ signifies the same things. Baptism is the circumcision of Christ. It signifies the washing away of sins, personal renewal by the Holy Spirit, and membership in the body of Christ. From this we see that baptism has replaced circumcision as the sign of the covenant. It's important to emphasize that in the New Testament, it was not just believers who were baptized. We spoke earlier about some who believed and were baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch, Cornelius, Lydia, the Philippian jailer, and Crispus. Yet what needs to be made clear is that these people did not function as individuals. They were heads of a household. And when they were baptized, it was together with their household, just like Abraham in the Old Covenant. Acts 10 verse 24 tells us that Cornelius had called together his relatives and close friends to hear what Peter had to say to them. It was to this group that Peter preached, and upon them that the Holy Spirit fell. 
they were all baptized. Acts 16 verse 15 says that Lydia and her household were baptized. Acts 16.33 says that the Philippian jailer and his family and all his family were baptized. Acts 18 verse 8 indicates that Christmas believed in the Lord together with his entire household. The following verses indicated that they were baptized together with many in Corinth. From all this we can conclude but one thing. It is that just like in the Old Covenant... Children have a place in the midst of God's people. The children whom we normally consider to be ours actually belong to God. God has put his mark, his emblem on their forehead. God is God not just to the adults among us. He's the God of every one of us, even of the little children in the babysit. Children, too, belong to God's covenant and congregation. They, too, belong to Christ with body and soul, both in life and in death. For they, too, were bought with a price. In our first point, we've seen that children belong to God's covenant and congregation. In our second point, we'll see that children, too, receive full salvation in Jesus Christ. When a child is baptized, he or she receives everything promised to God's people. If the child belongs to God, then all things are his, for God is his, and he is God's. The child of a believer has God, and therefore has everything in him. That includes salvation. The full salvation we have in Jesus Christ belongs to our children as well. We're used to stating that justification is by faith alone. That there is no salvation aside from faith. So how can we say that children too receive full salvation in Jesus Christ? Please understand that we are not denying the scriptural doctrine of justification by faith alone. It's true for those that are capable of it. Yet you cannot demand faith from an infant or from someone who has a serious mental impairment. They lack the capabilities. Yet God makes it clear in his word that children have a very important role in his kingdom. To explain this is helpful to start with 1 Corinthians 7, verses 13 and 14. Paul here encourages the believing spouse to remain with an unbelieving partner and not to divorce him or her. He says, For the believing husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Paul here indicates that because of the faith of one of the parents, the whole family is regarded as being in covenant with God. If even the spouse who refuses to believe comes under the influence of God's work, how much more the children who are not old enough to profess their faith? 
Paul says that a child born in such a family is holy. In this verse, holy is placed over against unclean. The fact that a child is considered holy includes the notion of having been cleansed. What Paul teaches us is that such a child is holy because this child has been cleansed by the blood of Christ. How, we ask? By virtue of the child being part of God's covenant. God's promises are for believers and their children. In Christ, our children are holy. In Christ, they share in the promises of the covenant. In the covenant, our triune God says to the child to be baptized, I am the Lord your God. Is this true and real only in promise? Does this only become a reality when a child comes to an age that he or she can respond in faith to this promise? Of course not. In the covenant, God says, I am the Lord your God. That's true for confessing members and their children. These children, too, are holy. They belong to God. God has adopted them, too, as his children. They are heirs of everlasting life. This is confirmed by the way in which the Lord Jesus dealt with children during his public ministry. Parents were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. The disciples figured that Jesus was much too busy to waste his precious time on children. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Note that Jesus did not say, Theirs will be the kingdom of God. He said, Theirs is the kingdom of God. And Jesus took them and blessed them, laying his hands upon them. Yes, beloved children belong to God's covenant and congregation. They're part of God's people. They have full salvation in Jesus Christ. Baptism is a sign and seal that they share in the washing of Christ's blood and spirit. It gives us so much comfort, especially when we face a miscarriage or receive a stillborn child. Or when God in his wisdom takes one of our children out of this life at an early age. In each of these cases, we need not doubt the election and the salvation of our children. They belong to God. We may be sure that he has taken them home to be with him. By virtue of God's covenant promises, we may be sure that our children are God's children. That they have full salvation in Jesus Christ. It brings us to our final point, and we'll see that children, too, are called to respond to God's grace. There's one thing that we need to be careful about when dealing with the riches of God's covenant promises. We should never become complacent about them. We should never think that the covenant guarantees salvation. Covenant children have received everything in Christ. But with the promises comes a call. 
a call to receive God's grace and to live out of it. You know what that call is? It's that we trust in the Lord alone and love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's that instead of loving the world, we put off our old nature and we lead a God-fearing life. As children grow up, God calls them to respond to the promises made to them at baptism. He calls them to believe his promises are true and certain. He calls them to live out of these promises by submitting themselves to his word and will. In this regard, we see the great responsibility that's laid upon parents. We must do everything in our power to bring up our children in the fear of the Lord. We're to teach them who God is and what he has done for us. We're to train them to discern between good and evil. We can direct them in what they read and watch and play and in how they live and work. Such instruction takes place not just in how we speak to our children. Often it's not in what we say, but what we do that has the greatest impact on our children. It's by walking by the Spirit that we train our children to do the same. We know from the Old Testament that not all those who were circumcised were ultimately saved. Being a member of the covenant will not save you if you reject God's promises and you despise his grace. The Bible makes it clear that Esau and King Saul and Judas Iscariot were all members of the covenant and were all circumcised. Yet they were covenant breakers. They despised God's promises. They rejected his word. They lived life their way. And the result was that God rejected them. They did not share in the forgiveness of sins and were not heirs of life everlasting. In the same way, baptism is no guarantee of salvation. If we break the covenant God has established with us, we will not receive God's blessings. If instead of loving the Lord, we reject his word and will, we put ourselves under God's curse. See, beloved, it's bad when someone hears the gospel and then thinks, that's not for me. But it's much worse when we've shared in God's covenant promises from our youth and then reject him. Hebrews 10 tells us that anyone who set aside the law of Moses will die without mercy. And then the writer of Hebrews asks, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. God's wrath will come on those who knew his promises and yet rejected and despised them. You see, beloved, when our children grow up, God calls them to believe the promises made to them at baptism and to live out of them. 
At our baptism, God said, I am the Lord your God. I have adopted you as my child. I have washed you with the blood of Christ. You are holy. You are an heir to eternal life. But what do we do with that? Do we see the Lord as our God? Or do we follow other gods? Do we submit our lives to the Father's ways? Or do we give in to the temptations of the devil and our sinful flesh? Do we live holy lives? Or do we walk in the ways of evil? Do we believe that there is life with God? Or do we seek our life in the things of this world? Young people, in your baptism, God has made himself known to you in a very personal way. You are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And when you are baptized, God promised great things to you. He said, I am your God. And you're my child. Do you recognize that God has a claim on your life? Do you give him opportunity to work in your heart? With the Bible and with his Holy Spirit? Or are you resisting the Spirit and walking in the ways of sin? Please understand that God has made an eternal covenant with us. God's promises are true and certain. They will never fail. It is never too late to turn to God and to receive his grace. Yet at the same time, our actions have consequences. We Reap what we sow. Wrong decisions made today can cause great sorrow for many years to come. Therefore, heed the call made to you at your baptism. Taste and see that the Lord is good. With him there is peace. With him there is joy. With him there is life. I'd like to conclude with the call the Lord issued to his covenant people in Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. He said, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. May God work mightily in each of our hearts by his word and spirit so that we may share in the rich blessings of his covenant. Amen.